a new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. The time is approaching when God will grant worldwide popularity to this movement, and this dispensation will spread in the East and the West, and the North and the South, and in the world. Islam and this movement will become synonymous terms. This is a revelation from God on high, for whom nothing is impossible. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbour might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbour should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favourite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbour. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbour is not secure against injury and ill-treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbour. He asked people not to object to their neighbours driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the day of judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the day of judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the day of judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Hello and welcome. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. You have joined us on another edition of Saturday morning live and in the studio. We have a full house 
this morning and I'm joined by Shams Najam, Sajil Shah and Sadiq. But it is a live and interactive show. It is your show. We want you to be part of the conversation today. We have a very interesting conversation lined up for you. We will be talking about the GOAT conversation across the board. Conversation started before the mics went on and we said we'll save it for the show. Um, have your say. Let us know who you think the GOAT is. We're going to talk about a couple of different sports and of course bring our Islamic viewpoint of generally achieving greatness and what that looks like in the world. Uh, in the first hour, we will be talking about different news stories that caught our eye. Like I said, it is a live and interactive show. So do get involved. Have your say. 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can get in touch via our socials online at Voice of Islam UK. Gentlemen. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. Welcome to the show. It's good to see you all. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. So for those who are listening, the person who just said may the peace and blessings <laughs> be upon you, his name is Sadiq. It's his first time on the show. He's very nervous. I told him that our listeners are very kind. <laughs> they like listening to Saturday Morning Live. It's a very popular show. So there's no need to be nervous. And Sir Joe, it's his second show. So he seems a bit more relaxed than he was a month ago. And Shams obviously is a veteran. Yeah, Sadiq from experience, you should be terrified. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You've all, you've all built it up so well. Don't worry, everyone's really nice. It just means people are listening. And uh, <laughs> uh, How's it going, guys? All yeah, good. Good, 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 good. Okay, so let's uh, jump into the news stories. What has caught your eye this week? Um, I can start. So I was, I was um, watching the news, uh, I think Monday, Tuesday, and... There's a, a member of the House of Lords called Ken Clark. Yeah. So, you know, I'll give you a bit of context, right? So Ken Clark is a uh he used to be a Conservative MP. Uh he was an MP for about forty nine, fifty years. And he served loads of different roles, right? So he's done Secretary of Health, Education and Science, Home Secretary and even Chancellor of the Exchequer. So he served under Theresa May and John Major. So he's now a member of the House of Lords, and for those of you who don't know, House of Lords essentially they make they they review laws, <coughs> they make laws, they they hold government to account, and they essentially just you know do in-depth considerations of public policy. So he stood up, he stood up on the uh, in the House of Lords, and he's he's essentially spoken about the Randa Bill. And what he's saying about the Randa Bill is really interesting because he's he this is this is a Tory who's supporting his own party. A few months ago, he was an advocate of the Randa Bill. You know, for those of you who don't know, it's encouraging or looking at making a a, a law to uh, fly out illegal immigrants or asylum seekers that haven't passed their cases to Rwanda. the The argument that currently is happening is: Is Rwanda safe enough for? the immigrants to be shipped out to or fl- flown out to um, and I think we can all say you know, without pulling up facts if you were thinking of your top 10, 20 safest countries in the world Rwanda may not be in the top 20 right? so what he said and I'll quote is if we pass this bill we are asserting as a matter of law that Rwanda is a safe country for this purpose so for the purpose of immigration and asylum seekers to be uh, flown out there. And he continues, that is always going to, that it is always going to be a safe country for the purpose until the law is changed. And the courts may not even consider any evidence brought before them to try and demonstrate that it's not a safe country. 
this is a very dangerous constitutional pro- uh, dangerous constitutional provision. So essentially what he's saying, and he, he goes on further on, on, is that if the government decides to bring in a law that states that Rwanda is safe for flying out uh, illegal immigrants, then we're moving into a dictatorship because the government has laid down a law to say this country is safe. It doesn't matter based on facts. It doesn't matter on you know information. It doesn't matter about whatever you can bring to the table. By law, the government believes or states this country is safe. And if we continue down this road, and he's saying this, he's now saying this, right? This is a Tory MP in the same party who was an advocate of it, but now he's saying this is dangerous footing. We're going to essentially pass a law to say the country is safe, and we all know the reason we're saying it's safe is because we want to do an illegal immigration process. So, yeah, I'll stop there just to see if there's any any thoughts. Uh, But it does carry on. There is a bit of a link as well. Here's my question. One is, how do you define safe generally? I'm just saying because we live in a country where, again, this is based on perspective, I feel, and your experience, where to the world, UK, the United Kingdom, England might be a really safe country. But actually, you see over the past five to ten years like the level of crime rates and whatever it may be it just feels like it it's not really stable uh, but yet it's safe so how do yeah. you I don't know what you're that's open the discussion in terms of how would you define safe in terms of a country I think there are um, you know I think one of the things that Clint, Ken Clark was, was referring to is that there are principles that you know we we need Rwanda to sort of adhere mm-hmm. to um and once it can be proven, uh, but I think his point his point was also more around uh, the principle of law and the fact that if a law by a supreme court has uh, then sort of been rejected in in, in that sense, yeah. he's then classifying that as, as as quite dangerous because he's then saying like what constitutional like and that's where sort of the di- dictatorship yeah, yeah, um, yeah. sort of line comes into it because it's what sort of rule of law do you follow? And I think all of us will agree that over the last sort of few months we've seen um, rules of law apply differently in different situations. Um, and, you know, we, we can even speak about, you know, what's happening in Gaza at the moment and in other sort of uh, areas of the world where previously, um, even, you know, bringing Ukraine into it, I think, yeah. you know, uh, how the funding works and I think you'll, you'll touch upon it essentially what, what we're looking at here is is something that a lot of people have been feeling where certain laws apply um, yeah. at times and at other times they can just be completely ignored and sort of shifted and the goalposts then at that point move and, and that's where it creates that sense from a societal point of view that those who you know these guys who are meant to be in charge or look out for society are they adhering to you know those principles I suppose we could go into sort of the Islamic principles um, of uh, integrity sort of um, that loyalty honesty truthfulness does it apply across the board and I think that that's probably a key thing in this whole Rwanda bill because it, it kind of just you know it it kind of reeks of like hypocrisy mm. um, and in, in many ways the, you know the the unjust sort of system because and again another thing is you know is this story something that's just being highlighted because we're now moving into you know the year of the elections and all of that stuff is it you know people are then highlighting you know is this being picked up 
intentionally now more so to sort of highlight indicate this and that so I think it's just the hypocrisy around these laws um, which yeah. then yeah. create where I was going to say where where's the where do you draw the line in terms of let's say the government's role is to run the country hmm. and we as subjects should um, really adhere to whatever the government decides but what I'm saying is where do we draw the line in terms of okay do you know what we not everything's a conspiracy theory like we have to trust the system or is it based on what you just said in terms of well actually if you look into history of politics every time the year of the vote comes around there are promises made uh, things are said to get votes and actually the reality is very much different to what's promised so where, where, where's the kind of balance how do you yeah, I was thinking this as well because actually, it, it, Mr. Clark uh, touches upon this, right? So, at what point are you serving for the will of the people versus doing something for either your own gain, right? So, if we look at the sort of the Tory party and what they're doing at the moment, and this isn't about you know Tory or Labour and which is better, etc. It's it's purely because at the moment they are in power and and they, their actions are going to result in whether they get the next general election right so if we look at everything they're doing if you look at their top five cases or their their end of year you know uh, goals are they doing these uh, things to get back in power or are they doing these things to support the country and that therein lies the challenge right they you can you can you can mold almost any fact or almost any point to 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 your own benefit and I think this is what's happening and, and the frustration that everyone is seeing you know with these tax cuts that uh, Rishi wants to bring in with the the national insurance uh, tax cuts and, and, and these sort of things or relief or however we pitch it could, could it have happened earlier because we all know the country's been going through quite hard times or is it just happens coincidentally on the year that he's wanting to announce uh and then he's wanting to announce general election, right? So then you start questioning what's going on. Is there a snowball effect happening? Do we continue to have this process of the will of the people or the will of the party and personal gain? Yeah, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head, really. I think a lot of the times it's they pick something to highlight before the election period because they know that's going to go on their votes. And something like the Rwanda, but I think what's clearly obvious that they're trying to do, but they can't outright say it is that if there is an illegal immigrant and they're considering coming to the UK and they know that actually I might be shipped off to Rwanda that may actually be a deterrent whereas if you knew yeah. that we're going to be sent to a safe secure country if we get there anyway and they find us that's a lot less of a deterrent so I think that the fact that they're highlighting it now is clearly some sort of uh, party politics Okay, then here's my question to, here's my point to that if they were to outright say that how would that make you feel? Oh, right, say that this is an unsafe country. So if no, you come, no, you're like, going the, there. like this is the kind of wisdom behind this decision that we we want to immigration is a problem for us. This is one deterrent. Yeah, I if I'm just saying, like, this is what we've just assumed, yeah? Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Even, even we've just said it, it's an assumption. But I'm saying, if they were to say it outright, because with politics, often you hear people saying they're not honest, just be honest. So yeah, yeah. let's just say, okay, for argument's sake, they came out and said this, that look, this is the immigration bill, we're doing it because it serves as a deterrent, yeah. it'll make someone think twice before they come here. Uh, I, I then how feeling. does that make the general public feel? Yeah. 
so I thought someone was going to say something but I, I have a feeling it, and it's quite I think it's a it's almost a beautiful thing to watch it but the will of the people would actually you know it would just the, the time would take its own course for, for, so for example the Brexit vote right is this just to compare right we'll go back to the, the point of the Rwanda but the Brexit vote uh, Tory party pitched it as you know we'll be free from Europe etc hmm. but the will of the people and the reality we all know what the reality was people voted for it uh, and when, when when the news stations went out to ask why are you voting Brexit it was immigration yeah. right yeah. but it means the power of the people when you gave them the vote decided so you could pitch it any way you want but the power of the people show that they wanted to leave Brexit and I think if you if the the point here is if you just say why you're wanting to do something then the the the, the vote of the people will decide anyway at the moment we can't even have a general election to decide who who wants to go who wants to stay and the frustration keeps growing right you there's a third prime minister who's not been elected who's been chosen by his own party and uh, they're running the country and they're choosing choosing what to do the more frustration keeps growing and the people just want to have a say in something and when they have the say it then di- dictates what can we do everyone knows the, the underlying reasons they just don't have the ability to vote and that's where the frustration currently is I mean and this, this is why I'm really sort of you know detached from politics because I just find sort of the games that are played are just quite they're manipulative because you what you just said there I'm not even sure if you know the fact is you're, you're probably correct in, in in somewhat saying that a large part of Brexit was about immigration or people at the time were frustrated around this immigration issue but why is that that's because it was highlighted to be something negative yeah they how would the general public think or know that immigration is causing us x y and z problems yeah and it's the manipulation tactics that come into it look if you guys remember back to um when they were leaving the you know the buses of yeah, nhs, NHS is going to save this exactly. much and and actually we've had you know how many strikes have we had since um even with immigration you know there there have been sort of talks about now we actually need you know there's certain jobs that are not being sort of filled mm-hmm. and there's a there's a gap now it's just these manipulation <coughs> tactics that we don't actually know what the problems are that are being officially caused by immigration or by these things but they're utilized so that we now look back at um you know brexit and think yeah people yeah we wanted to leave because essentially it was voted to leave but actually people voted to leave on based on a on a lie and yeah. and the whole yeah. campaign you know it, it was completely sort of a lot of those things that we now look back and think yeah. actually that was a complete lie so so but, did people yeah. actually want to leave because the financial effects of leaving or i mean now i'm even seeing that actually there might have even be some 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 good financial effects. I don't know. I haven't yeah. looked into it well enough. But I've seen some but this headlines, is, but yeah. essentially, it seems as if it was a bad decision, right? Yeah. Um, well, it, so far, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think, and this is what I mean, right? You you could, if we look back at, and obviously it's hindsight, so it's a beautiful thing, right? But if if we look back now, everything that was pitched, whether it was. Uh, a show a, a, a front for whatever the underlying reasons are people still voted their own way in deciding how to do it so you know and I reference you know in, interviews or high street interviews I've, I've seen on, on like BBC or etc 
when when they go and you know interview the the, the ordinary average Joe on the street, and I I don't I hardly ever heard anyone quoting things like the three hundred fifty million. But I remember it. Mm. Everyone voted for the fact that they they were annoyed about something. Mm. They didn't, and well, not everyone, but you know what, what I mean is like everyone that I watched and in the interviews, a majority of the interviews coming back was I'm frustrated about immigration, or I'm frustrated that the EU controls my 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 borders. When if you ask them what it is, they don't actually know the details of it, but it's the frustration, and it means they they've had the ability to vote and they've chosen regardless of how you've pitched it. Yeah, I think um, like coming on from that is that there's clearly a disconnect between the people representing yeah. the country. And the actual people themselves. So what you have is, I don't know how similar you guys find yourselves and your lives to Rishi Sunak or to any other any other person sitting on those benches. But what happens is the common person doesn't look to them for those things. But then what these parliamentary people are having to do is, let's pick some topics where we can still stand by it, like the Rwanda bill, where, oh no, we think it's safe, we think whatever, but we know that that's going to trigger those responses in those the regular people where they're thinking, oh, that's something that's really going to help with immigration. Yeah. It's the story so behind the story. They, they have to always just tread this line. So in answer to uh, Osman's question about, you know, um, how would I like if someone was just open and honest? Personally, I'd like it. But I appreciate that, especially in the parliamentary system, if anyone is going to stand, if one of them said that we're doing this to deter, they're going to be out of their job. So as a result, they're having to just do all of these games and we're never really going to get probably what we want from this parliament. I guess one example is Donald Trump, really, because there's no filter with him. He And yeah. the thing is... It, you. <clears throat> And again, it's some perspective, but there are people who would argue, say that his in his leadership, the country was thriving. Um, but him as a ca- his character, he was very open and upfront. Uh, and the certain comments that he made is like, would you really say this if you you were a leader? And you wouldn't. But it's again, it's it's kind of catch twenty two in terms of where the, where's the middle line. I, might, I, I think this goes sorry. deeper into kind of the next topic actually quite nicely the fact that what do we expect from leaders um, because ultimately whether we like it or not they are um, how do I say this they are trusted in the sense that whether we like what they say or not we still listen we still look to them and we still yeah. expect or we want to believe the things they're telling us are true because they're the ones in power they're the ones who understand yeah. the functioning of the country and so essentially we still haven't as much as we don't want there to be maybe at times we still have an element of trust um, and, and, and these guys that are in power you know the, the layman does look to them and that's why these manipulation mm-hmm. emotional tactics do work because when someone is for example going through you know if you're going through right now we're going through like the crisis and, and people are struggling financially if a government steps up and says you're going through this because of immigrants that's emotionally sort yeah. of um, attracting you, right? You're now thinking this person or this leadership cares. Yeah. Now they're going to give you a solution for that, which ultimately is a solution for you financially struggling. So you are going to start connecting and, and it does happen like that. So even though deep down everyone or majority of people probably dislike a lot of the way that politics works, we still listen and we yeah. still expect them to do what's what's the what what is right for the society and that's why i think it goes quite well into the next um topics because what do we expect from them you know your your, your question is like do you want them to tell the truth no i just want them to care for the layman and go back to sir Jill's yeah. point like 
yeah, you could probably look into the sort of wealth of some of these people and the background of some of these people and they're sort of far detached from sort of, you know, what you would class as the normal person in society. But they're still in those positions to make a difference. So I would still expect, you know, that level of sort of care. And this is where I think we can go into what Islamic principles of governing a nation and the responsibilities are uh, later on into the show. I think there is absolutely something that you've said around manipulation actually brings it back to the original story of, the, of Rwanda, right? So the the other half of the, the story, which I purposely left out just to get the, the feelers on the, the first part, was currently the Rwanda bill is going through, you know, the House of Lords, the, the, the government essentially to be passed as a bill. Now, the UK is part of the uh, European Court of Human Rights. So, and, ha- and that European Court has 46 members. And there's currently a, a, I'd call it a debate, but there's obviously there's probably a more legal term for it, where the European Court has, has an ongoing case uh, that stops immigrants being, uh, being flown out from the UK to Rwanda because they deem it unsafe. So the European Court has said this. The head of the European Court has, uh, not directly, but you know, publicly warned that no member of the court, European Court can act against uh, any, in, any judge uh, decision. However, there is a, there's a rule within the European Court called Rule 39, where if you believe your country or uh, some, something to do with your country, whether direct or indirect... Uh, is essentially a, an imminent, imminent threat, then you can over, over uh, bypass the law. And what uh, what the what the newspapers and uh, uh, other people close to this uh, story are worried about is essentially the prime minister enacting Rule Thirty Nine and saying, "Well, no, the immigrants actually do pose a threat." And when you first listen to it and you think, but they're immigrants, you know, they've just come from a war-torn country or wherever they are, like, you know, they may not all have, but the, the general consensus, they've come from somewhere of hardship to come to here. But then the, the and, and then you think, oh, maybe the government's, again, back to the manipulation, they, they make, they're painting this whole taboo of immigrants, you know, put them somewhere separate, keep them away from us because we're worried, etc. Then... We have instances where, if if some of you might have read the news in the last couple of days of the acid attack in Clapham, mm-hmm. where there was an immigrant who had his case uh, rejected twice for asylum, and he is the actual um, what did they call it? Like the the perpetrator or the the person who the the criminal essentially, right? Because he's thrown acid at uh, a mother and two children. And over the last day, last few days, I've been listening to talk shows uh, on the radio and on TV, and the general discussion point is not about the acid anymore. It's the fact that there's an immigrant whose case was rejected twice. And this it's, it's a perfect case if you're the government trying to push the Rwanda bill to say, here you go, we've said to you, this is the reason why we're saying there is an imminent threat. And I think it's... It doesn't help the argument, but it's a very dangerous sort of path that we go down when we have something like this. It just solidifies the argument for the government to say our country is under threat. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think the reason for that is 
because of the way the this picture has been painted yeah that you now perceive there's a fit you know you, you probably remember back to going back to um you know leaving the eu mm-hmm. um this picture of like fear of immigrants i remember doing a couple of shows on it where we sort of discussed like there's this thing now which is fear of immigration because everything was being pinned on anything that's going wrong because that that, that was you know the scapegoat and i think again the same thing about whilst you're right it doesn't help that these things happen but we see that with a lot of sort of crime and the way that they're sort of now uh, in the media at least uh, portrayed it's an immigrant issue yeah Whereas if you actually start looking into the stats, maybe those crimes are done more so that are not by immigrants. But it's because we now, you know, that manipulation tactic, you've, they, you know, they've used that as a scapegoat and, and, and that's what's now being held on to. And now the general public are manipulated to actually perceive or have this level of fear in some ways towards immigrants. Yeah, I feel that... Um you know, when it comes to that perception of, of immigrants, if the government were to spend as much effort and time on assimilating people who are coming over from abroad, setting up proper systems so that people who are leaving places for war-torn countries have a way to apply, <coughs> that would be much better. And like um, when I was working um, uh, as a postdoctoral research associate, we were looking at uh, common diseases that immigrants had and oftentimes they were ones like tuberculosis which is completely treatable but the immigrants coming to the country um, a lot of the time when we did interviews with them to see okay um, you know how have you not got treatment so far what's the issues it was basically they didn't know that they had access to healthcare so you can imagine you have these immigrants coming and there isn't anything properly in place so whenever I hear these stories about you know what we need to be doing to fight immigrants at the same time there are some here who are not being assimilated properly so when you talk about the acid attack Mm. you know that kind of person who knows how many times he was refused when he went to you know get something or you know you said he applied for asylum a couple times so i just feel like the focus on this coming back to shams's point is that we're looking at it from you know they're the scapegoats when really if we look at them as oh this is a benefit to our country of people here that we can use to our benefit to improve the country as a whole the thing is I think when it comes to just all the points that have been discussed so look if something's wrong it's wrong Uh, regardless if you do it from a um, someone in authority's point of view or a subject's point of view Uh, and I think this is why the basic fundamental teachings of Islam is so powerful and that's the fact that everyone will be accountable for their actions. And we have to live a life, a God-conscious life, meaning knowing that God is always watching. And I feel like, and I've always said this when it comes to these type of things, that the reality is is there's no accountability. Like when you hear a party or an individual leader say that we're going to do this and then actually they don't do it, and then the result of their actions is something totally different, the element of, or the question of accountability comes into play that well, what's how are they going to be accountable for what they said but then again it's it goes back to the point of well what's the intention because Islamically that's what we believe as well that inter- actions are judged by their intentions mm-hmm. so if your intentions are like you said to want for your brother what you want for yourself again these are all Islamic values want for your brother what you want for yourself to serve not just God but serve his creation to integrate so we talk about uh, talk about um, uh, immigrants coming to the country but true integration is someone who comes 
and not just thinks about himself rather makes that particular place a better place mm. so these are all kind of common values where the ownership's not on one party actually there's responsibility on both ends but again that's the beauty of living a god conscious life that you know that it's not that the government's watching me it's that actually there's a superior power that i will be answerable to yeah yeah i was going to ask actually a question so i think that puts it all into perspective but from an islamic point of view just uh, a question is there meant to be a separation of you know the people working in politics and the people who are practicing the religion in that country like what what does islam teach in that regards what in terms of are we allowed to get into politics not necessarily but you know for example you don't often hear um leaders of different uh religious communities advocate for certain people to vote for yeah. and things yeah. like that is that something which yeah, I mean religion and politics are two separate things yeah mm-hmm. um and i think it's always yeah no religious leader will ever say that you, we all need to get together behind this one person because the reality is you have the freedom to vote for whatever you feels right for you because when it comes to politics it's not based on your religious beliefs it's based on your living circumstances whatever suits your living needs you will so if labor let's say is appealing to you or if liberal democrats are appealing to you or any other party is appealing to you you would vote according to that and that's why would you call it politics will never interfere with religion either really the day politics were to say let's just say if for argument's sake if any party was to speak against one particular religion then i'm sure that religion or that particular set will probably unite in saying look this is wrong so as long as and i think from a from a muslim's point of view regardless of what field it is as long as you understand that that shouldn't take that shouldn't be the means of you being driven away from your fundamental core beliefs or practices because if it becomes into you know me now chasing this particular thing um which means i sacrifice all of my religious values just to achieve that goal whether it's in politics sports or any field then that as well i would say it's wrong because you've not understood what the priority or what the purpose of this life is i think I don't, quite, if, I don't know if that answers your question no no definitely yeah. i think quite interesting you raise that actually as well because you know one of the beauties of this country that we live in is is its adherence to sort of you know high moral sort of principles and international law because just on that point politics shouldn't get involved in religion but we see that in some countries it does yeah. right and it does interfere in in the rights of sort of um the society and it's in those instances where sort of countries like this traditionally have allowed immigrants to come in because um there has been a breach to those rights um for example you know the amdi muslim community in pakistan cannot practice yeah. as muslims right and that's against and that's part of the law uh, exactly and that's Yeah exactly it's not against the law it's actually part of the law because the law is is there to sort of um prevent amdis from doing so and it's in those moments that you know countries like sort of the european countries um the uk traditionally have supported um that freedom of religion you know the rights that 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 you should have and and technically their islamic principles so you know just the point is that there are some countries that politics interferes into religion but it shouldn't 
but then there are also some countries that give those rights and that's why it's important that immigration in this country and that's why for a lot of immigrants this is a very attractive country because there are ample ample opportunities here mm. but also for those who have suffered in those other countries they come here for protection and now unfortunately over the last sort of few years we're seeing that even here that's sort of being taken away and with these sort of bills coming in which is which is quite unfortunate i, I think one beauty of look uh, for example we talk about religion and politics is that with what's happening in palestine right now obviously the whole world is witness to what's happening here now the beauty of religion is religion will for example we are md muslims our leader his holiness the fifth caliph of the md muslim association has said that regardless of what party you follow write to your leaders and tell them that look this is injustice it needs to stop because if it doesn't it's leading to a global destruction not only are those people suffering because those people are in gaza right now for them that is world war 3 you can't tell them this there might be a world war 3 that is world war 3 they're going through it right now mm. but if it doesn't stop now then potentially the destruction will be global but anyway that's we're thinking so far ahead but even for now we need to make sure that the people of gaza their rights are met and they are no longer suffering so that's the beauty of religion in terms of for example for us our faith has brought us together to reach out to our politicians regardless of what party they're from and say look this we need to put a stop to this so that's something again for example that religion has had a positive role and again it's not that that whole purpose behind that is not for any religious gain it's not we're doing this so that they at the end of the day they all turn muslims no no we're doing it because we understand the value of human beings and mankind and we understand that we all children of god in essence metaphorically yeah so when anyone suffers regardless of their religious background it affects us um so we don't want we don't want especially when it's through injustice so that's how i would say the beauty of religion that it actually unites people in stopping what's bad yep we want to the next story now um you got a story yes so what did you want to no no you, you go for it you go for so uh weapons found after police in london shoot dead man who had a crossbow um armed officers were called to surrey keys uh, a few days back and a man with a crossbow was trying to get inside a property um and yeah you know ultimately uh two shots were fired and um, there's now sort of an investigation into man's death, but ultimately the reason I mention this this story is sort of more more sort of broadly, you know the the the, the levels of crime, knife crime, uh, these sort of crimes that we see, you know, on our streets are are increasing, and um, you know I just wanted to to sort of get you your viewpoints on sort of what is it that you feel is, is causing this. Um, again, we know that there's sort of political dissatisfaction, if I can call it, in this country. Uh, I wouldn't say sort of political unrest, but like, you know, people are unhappy, um, a bit unhappy with sort of leadership. There's a cost of living crisis. Um, immigrants are maybe feeling, uh, feeling a bit sort of, yeah, marginalised. Um, so there's a, there's a there's a lot that's happening, but the effects that what we don't maybe always see is the effects on our youth. Um, 
and you know and 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 we're we're kind of seeing that you know crime is rising so just wanted to get your thought you you know what you guys uh, so I, I thought about this as well because I've, I've seen the, the knife crime and everything and and I can't remember I I can't remember what um I was watching this on MTA about about sort of the events that happen even after a pandemic uh, but I, I was just thinking from a smaller scale right so we're going through a tough time financially and tough times always creates the the knock on effect of trying to either maintain a lifestyle or uh, you know survive and I think it's it's that issue of trying to maintain a lifestyle or survive that is causing the onward uh, knock on effects right because either families either individuals are trying to make money and by making money if there's no jobs out there the the ones who can't get a, a developed job or a blue collar job etc may turn to crime mm. and then it's only just to, to fund a lifestyle then there's also the point of what else is there for individuals to do these days outside of hanging on the streets and, and getting into the wrong uh, um, groups because there's no money to fund ex- external activities right so then you have uh, children going into such uh, such activities and, and you know, gang violence etc I think there's a, a combination of things happening that this hasn't just happened overnight. This happened over years of budget cuts to not allow, uh, f- uh, you know, after school activities, general youth activities, club. youth clubs. Yeah. Then there's budget cuts because councils are going bankrupt so they can't afford to employ people. Just for example's sake. Then, you know, it, it's, it, the, the economy isn't the be all end all of it, but it's such a huge trigger to push people out and try and get money to survive. And the easiest way sometimes some people feel will be just to go out in the street and take something, right? The thing is, uh, okay, my views are not, not different, but from a different point of view, I would say, is this is where sometimes onus is not on, like at the moment we're just talking about what can be done for us rather than what can we do as well. So parenting is like yeah. a key, fundamental you can say tool I would say that if you get it right because you don't need money to be a good parent you don't need um, the right circumstances all the time to be yeah. a good parent like that's just, just it's in you to be a protector a provider someone who you know whatever you've morals you've gained from your parents you pass on to your children as well so I want to touch on that the, point the element of like you. hard work I'm just saying yeah. the element of um, being honest the element of uh, you know never wanting like wanting for your others what you want for yourself like these are values like smiling at people these are values that we've learned we've been taught from a young age through examples uh, not just from our parents but religious examples as well so I would say the onus is on us as well in house that we have to kind of make sure our house is in order like I said there are probably people who can say that our circumstances are so dire that it's led us to do what's necessary to provide but I would always say that there is always another option, but it's just down on your willpower and how hard you're willing to work to make those changes. Because there are, again, so many examples <laughs> where 
understanding the roles of, of their and their responsibilities. Fathers have two, three jobs. Fathers mm-hmm. don't see their children because they're out working and then the mother is obviously looking after the well-being of the child. So instead of that father kind of turning to crime, he just understood that the sacrifice I have to give right now is that I might not be able to give time to my child and wife, but I need to earn. Um, in some cases, it might be, okay, I need to migrate. I need to migrate and go to somewhere where I can actually earn and send money back and where life will be better for me. Mm-hmm. So I think there are so many other options, but the the first onus, the first finger that we should point is at ourselves. That yeah. we, what are we doing? I Yeah, when you when you mentioned parents, parents, it was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask about, you know, is... Is it more difficult now to to be parents, and has parenting style changed? And if so, has that had a negative impact? I think we've probably all had conversations around this in our sort of social groups previously, and has that made it harder? Now, you you mentioned that the onus, whilst I agree, the onus is on parents. What we also have to recognise now is the difficulties in which parents sort of live, yeah. and this sort of goes back to the previous conversation and the next conversation that. There, there's also a responsibility on the government to create a living 100%. standard um, for parents to be able to parent properly, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, when um, you know parents are struggling, having to work, like, as you said, multiple jobs, uh, we've got single parent households, yeah. um, and 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 they're struggling to make ends meet. Ultimately. It feels as if children are the one that sort suffer. of bear, you know, yeah, they that, suffer. That suffer the and most. No, like I said, I, I would say that's the first. I would say we always have to look at ourselves first. In the same way that I would say that if if I was working in the government, then I would have to point the finger at myself for this exact um, reason that you just said. That if there's a family going hungry, and someone out of let's say their desperation has stolen food, okay, he's committed a crime. But look at the circumstances and then make sure that that doesn't happen by providing them some means of food. Um, because you're right, it's as it, everyone has responsibilities. And this is what I'm trying to say, that it's not just for us to say, well, the government's not doing anything. Hmm. We have to look at ourselves. But also, the government can't just say, well, no, you have to parent, right? They have to look at certain, put things in place so that those who are the worse off have the most help rather than the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Yeah, yeah. I was going to just add to that. <clears throat> I think what we find is that there's, I think gradually over time, there's less and less um, importance given to religion and faith. So in a country, in a society where, you know, there's people living in much worse circumstances than they are in the UK, and I'm sure they don't look at us and think, oh man, I'd hate to be there because of all of the, the pressures on financial, and the finances that they have. They have their own real pressures. So if you're someone who doesn't have, maybe you don't have a lot financially, but you do have some religious principles that you stand by, I think you're a lot less likely to maybe push yourself towards the kinds of things like we mentioned the asset attack and obviously this, this person with the crossbow. You're less likely to push yourself to that thing because you hold yourself to a standard. So if that country has an underlying you know, thing where there's some priority given to religion as a, as a push towards it, I think this kind of comes onto the parenting. Really what parenting is, is you're giving your child a set of principles to live by. Now, parents can do that, but also people can get those principles from religion and what their religion teaches them. So if it's something to be courteous to someone else, to not steal, to not do you know X, Y, and Z, that person I feel and that society as a whole, even when people are pushed too towards the brink, I think they'd be less likely to go into these types of criminal activities. I was 
I was just having a, a conversation actually just a couple of points that you've mentioned Personally, I think it's sometimes a little bit unfair to compare, you know, the problems that children in this country, sort of the modern world, would go through against children in, uh, you know, sort of war-torn countries. Whilst it's, you know, whilst you have to appreciate that, you know, those people are arguably going through a lot more in, in one sense, you still have to accept the difficulties that someone experiences with what they have been sort of subjected to or exposed to so for them it could still be you know very dire for them to go through i don't know like for example often we we see that you know mental health people go through mental health issues here but but you know sometimes the argument could be raised that actually you know there's there's people who are struggling to eat in other countries but i still think for that person living in that country that's a very sort of difficult situation to be in and they arguably for them it's the worst difficult it's the worst situation to be in so that's sort of my view on when we sort of look at you know difficulties from other countries because our children here are struggling and they're suffering and the religion point is a very good one but my only question would be imagine yourself in year sort of 10 year 9 mm-hmm. you've had some religious yeah. exposure your parents have um, you know exposed you to those principles but you meet someone who hasn't how do you actually instill or expect that person to have those moral or religious principles which broadly will help you guide you through life because you'll find a solution within those principles for majority of your issues that you come across but those people who have never been exposed to it how do you bring them or help them so i think i think this is also part of the problem you know when you said now we live in like a um, what's the wor- word? Um, the world is so connected. Hmm. What's the term? When it's like a global, global village. village yeah. We live like in a global village where everyone knows what's happening in every part of the world. Yeah. Is and it's where you start to compare. It's where then like different thoughts go through your mind that well, if he's got this, why can't I have this? So I think that's part of the problem where we actually start to compare and we don't realize actually well. You can always look at it from the other point of view. And this is what we believe Islamically, and I'll touch on some points what we believe in. But it's like we're always told that when it comes to like materialism, look at someone who's less fortunate than you because it makes you grateful. You could look at someone and think, well, why I don't have that? Hmm. Because he's got it. And that then again, that element of mm, humility is out the window because you're now like just being, you're feeling sorry for yourself rather than saying okay well I don't want to look at someone who's got more than me I'll look at someone who's got less than me so that I'm more grateful and understand that with hard work I can have more and when it comes to spirituality look at someone who's better than you so that you can achieve to be more spiritual and it will help you deal with these issues and I'll present just two verses of the Quran that will help understand like what our thought processes when it comes to this topic so in chapter 2 verse 156 and 157 God states and we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits but give glad tidings to the patient who when a misfortune overtakes them say surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return so like that's in a nutshell every sort of suffering that you can think of like fear hunger loss of wealth and lives yeah that's pretty much all of the suffering that you can go through but then God Almighty says that give glad tidings to those who are patient now patience are those people who you might not understand at the beginning of your suffering that why am I going through this but if you've been like you said from a young age so as Muslims from the age of seven we're told to encourage our children to pray 
and from the age of 10, be a bit more firm in getting them to pray. Because what that does, it puts the element of patience in you. That, okay, do you know what? There's always a higher being more than... Because my mom and dad, at the end, they're human beings. They have reactions, they have emotions, just like I do. So there is someone who's all-powerful, all-merciful, who can help me. But this is uh, an interesting topic in terms of prayer and the will of God. I remember we might talk about that as well if we've got time. But ultimately, it's understanding that this last bit of the verse, that surely to Allah we belong and to Him we will return. So what that comfort that gives us is that regardless of what might happen to us in this world, mm. like to the world's eyes, it might we might be at loss. But ultimately, one thing we all have in common is that we're going to leave this world one day. And we believe as Muslims that there's going to be an afterlife where we'll be accounted for with whatever we've done in this life. So yeah, in this life, we may have suffered in terms of by being patient, by prioritizing God. But in the next life, we'll see the fruit of that that patience. Um, and that in itself is real kind of wealth rather than temporary wealth because everything we learn, earn in this life, everything we eat in this life stays here. We don't get to take any of it with us. The only thing that goes with us in the next life are our actions see again yeah I, I agree with all of that my my question then again is similar to how do we because look the, ultimately this story is about you know crime uh, and then moving into sort of youth crime and kids going down that sort of route how do you influence you know again take yourself back to the school playground um, or when you're sort of you know that those years when you're sort of moving into adulthood and and maybe looking at you know you know getting more involved in sort of crimes and this sort of stuff as 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 that age you know 16 17 18 how do you influence someone or help someone understand that in that moment that these principles are sort of the best principles to abide by because that's not easy to understand for someone who's not lived that life it's easy to understand maybe for people like us who have been, as I said before, exposed to it. But essentially, these guys, these kids who are on the streets, um, you know, taking part in these crimes, knife crime, whatever, gang culture, whatever, I mean, it's not easy to 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 really sort of explain what their backgrounds might be, but one can assume that, you know, they're probably living in difficult situations at home, and poverty is probably, you know, something that they're staring at. Um, and maybe you know there's there's difficulty with food, but someone like that, hopefully you know if they can hear this or whatever, what would you say? You know what? There's a way out. It's a difficult one, isn't it's, it? It is really hard actually because there's not going to be one right answer, right? Yeah. But I I think the one word I wrote down that I wanted to bring it back to was exposure, because I was looking at it and I'm reflecting on my childhood and even sort of eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, you know the exposure that you see in schools is the kid with the latest phone how did they get it or the kids that uh, may have stolen something or the kids that have just got something through ill-gotten ways right but uh, then I then if I take a step back and think about it the exposure was that more than the exposure of uh, the brothers in the community that I have under Ahmadiyyad like I, it, it sounds like a very sort of marketed answer, mm. but I, I just think it's the exposure level, because the, the more I think about it, if as I've gotten older, 
my 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 group of friends uh, has has dwindled a bit, but mm. my group of brothers in the community has grown. It's surged, right? And I've been able to talk about things that either a I may not be able to talk about to my parents because they've lived in a different generation and they they maybe perhaps understand something differently, or you know the random Joe blog on the high street may not understand when I'm conscious of the Islamic teachings and what's right and wrong. But sitting in a community of brotherhoods who've, who've predominantly faced the same challenges can, you know, essentially encourage one another. Like, you know, this is this is the way of uh, the Prophet. This is the way of God. This is the way of our uh, of our uh, uh, spiritual leader. This this is these are the things that we do. And the more and more we do it, the more and more we're, we're pushing ourselves. It's I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah, we, we've got a few minutes left before you got to go to the news roundup, and I think we'll probably continue the conversation when we come back. But I think what I would say to someone, let's say in secondary school, who is on that path, again, it's exposure. You're right, but it's also just lack of role models, and what is what is for them appealing. So at that age from what I've noticed even like for example where we grew up our parents still live there it's like an estate where there is a gang culture but it's not like you're not born into poverty you're not born into that gang it's like something appeals you to want to join that gang and again it's not necessity most of the times majority of the times it's just being accepted Mm. and being part of like this kind of group of friends who give you that family value because you don't get that at home Mm. so that's why I would say that actually there are very, I would say, few cases where the the result of this is necessity. We need to do this because we're suffering. And majority of the cases are actually out of just being accepted. Because nine times out of ten, when you have an honest conversation on a one-to-one level with these groups, they're really nice guys. Mm. Like, they'll, they'll go above. Even I remember, like, the state that we live in, there is, like, a little group. And every time they see our mom, they're very respectful. They call her auntie. They, they always go, oh, yeah, yeah get, let the car come through. Like, they're very respectful. So it's just about educating them and understanding what relates to them best. Because not one thing would work on everyone. You have to kind of break down that, okay, with this, with this, undivi- with this one individual, what is he, what would what kind of examples would work with him or is it just your own example you always have to kind of do what's right or is this particular guy into sports or is he into some sort of academics or whatever it may be money money might be appealing then show him examples of people who actually have money through the right way we just come to the end of the first part of our show we're going to shortly go now for a news break join us again after the news Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, 
he endures such hardship and suffering as increase from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. You have joined myself, Usman Bhatt, Shams Najam, Sajo Shah, and Sadiq. But on this fine Saturday morning, it's still Saturday morning, right? I don't know why I was inclined to say Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's Saturday Morning Live. Getting to me, could do with a coffee if anyone's listening. Um, but yeah, first hour we were talking about different news stories that caught our eye, and we're now going to move on to the actual main topic of discussion. Like I said at the beginning, it is your show, we want you to have a say. Join us in our conversation 0208 687 or you can get in touch via any of our socials online at Voice of Islam UK. So I'm going to now hand over the mic to Sajil, who whose idea it was really to have this discussion about the GOAT. So Sajil, over to you. Yeah, no, so I think this does uh, lead on well from the last section where we were talking about the youth today maybe having a lack of role models. Now, oftentimes the role models which they do end up selecting are, like Osman was mentioning, potentially somebody who's growing up on the same block as them. And maybe the people of success for them are sports personalities. It could be entertainers. So, you know, when we're talking now about those sports, um, about those sportsmen, oftentimes when it comes to whether it be, you know, Ronaldo or Messi, Djokovic or Federer, you know, Muhammad Ali Mayweather, whatever it may be, there's these talks of who is the greatest of all time or the GOAT um, in those sports. So what I wanted to kind of start off with is, you know, how do we classify someone as a GOAT but within their sport? So I guess I'd open that up to you guys. So like when you're thinking about a GOAT, is it something which is maybe personal? You grew up watching them. Is it the amount of accolades that they, they got? Is it their natural ability? Um, so how would you guys kind of approach someone who's a GOAT within their sport? Go on, everyone's just looking at each other. <laughs> I, I would say I've always looked at it, again, it all depends on perspective. Because if you want to look at someone, look, there are certain sports that you can look at and say, okay, well, let's look at the statistics. Whoever has the best statistics technically is the best. But the reality is this whole conversation is based on people's opinions. Yeah. Even like the Ballon d'Or for football, it's not, yeah, as much as we want to 
we would think that it's based on stats but it's based on opinions and the vote is based on players and whoever it is but it's not always that that's the case that the, the particular best person on paper mm. is granted or known as the best so it really depends on what the criteria is so my question to you then is what is your criteria so when you're classifying someone as being the best I know we briefly mentioned before coming online so, yeah. but for me personally depending on what sport it is as well but for me it's someone who's probably impacted me the most I would, I would recommend I would say is the best because I'm not I'm not concerned about who's the best of all time because I'm not here for all time <laughs> I'm only here for my life period so the best person for me is whoever's affected me the most yeah I think um, it's, a, it's a really sort of interesting uh, conversation actually to think is it essentially to, st- to begin with is it the genetic ability of someone that impresses you or is it their ability to work as hard as they can right um, to get to the top uh, it's probably a bit of both to some degree it's probably a little bit unfair if you're judging it only on sort of you know natural raw ability because um, then you can't really bring in anyone else I think you have to include you know that person's sort of drive uh, and reason to succeed for me I would say and this is just you know most who would I look at sort of most recently and think you know I'm impressed by it it would have to be reasons of their story like what is their story How, for example uh, I'm a big boxing fan and like him or not someone like Anthony Joshua has a real good story whereas as a boxer arguably you'd probably say he's, he's not great as, as a sort of you know as a pure boxer but his story is amazing his will and drive to succeed is amazing and the fact that you know, this links in with our previous story. He come from potentially a life of crime, turned his life around, um, and you know became the the best in his sport in in some ways. And I think for me, um, someone who's hitting those heights in sport is more powerful because that influence goes way further, I believe, than someone like, for example, and I'm I'm not a big football fan, but how would Messi inspire someone? He's an amazing footballer and he can do the most amazing things with a football. But is anyone looking at him thinking, oh, maybe maybe his story is that he came from poverty. I don't know, but I'm just saying, looking purely at his his talent, if, it's, if, it, if there isn't a story behind it, that doesn't inspire me at least. So yeah, it's more the inspiration of the story that for me holds holds weight. Yeah, I, I think I absolutely agree. There's there's the elements of watching someone and thinking this this player sports person has an amazing amount of natural ability but I I think there's also it's what the riches bring from the sports that sometimes influence individuals and their perception of a sports player because you know you the youth of today right just for example sake it depends on what they want right but if you ask them why do they want to be a footballer I think that's what you you see as the influence and if a play, if if a kid says, "Oh, because Ronaldo's got ten baguettes or whatever," it's that's that's just that's because the rags are richest story appeals to them. And I think then that instills uh, why certain individuals are seen as goats because they've they've done it all, they've got everything. Uh, but for me, I think it's the natural ability or the ability to go from zero to you know 
number one in the world or, or perceived to be number one you know we can have the debates of who it is so for example in football as as a child as a teenager growing up I've always looked at Zidane and I thought you know this guy has come from uh, not the slums but you know, the high streets of wherever to, to become one of the the greatest of all time in terms of football but I also believe he's for some reason stood up for his uh, stood up for his rights stood up for what's right about his family when he's had the, the whole issue of the headbutt issue etc and for me that that's that's almost cemented my, my view on this person because he stood up regardless of what's happening he's in a World Cup final but someone's spoken illly of his family but then I think actually that's more his values that I'm I'm thinking this guy is yeah that only great. lost him the World Cup say, say again that only lost him the World Cup it only lost him the World Cup but actually if someone stood up for his values if you if if you were talking about the same sort of situation but outside of a World Cup there's this one person who's standing up for what's right for the will of the people versus a hundred people in Parliament standing up for their own selfish values you'd say that one individual is right look here's where I I, I disagree with what you said yeah because what I said yeah yeah and I'll use your same example yeah you for example you're right huge Anthony Joshua fan every time he fights whoever he fights I want him to win yeah because again there's an element of relating to him uh, he's taken this elevated the sport to another level yeah but the reality is he's not the best of this era mm. like yeah he's the most marketable which what I said arguably yeah, is not but like, a great like, and the guy the reality is the guy who is probably the best of the era he's just Yusik who's just someone who's you can't market him. He doesn't even speak English properly. And even though if he wants to, he chooses not to. And he understands everything that's going on. And he's just such a boring character that you will never put him in this conversation. Mm. Like right now, okay, he's the best of our era. Even though the boxing fans probably know. So this is what I'm saying, that you have to take away... Again, it's all on perspective. But I say when you talk about personal view, yeah, that's a good enough reason for you personally to believe that this person's the best. But when it comes to statistics and like levels of okay well this guy's won this many World Cups like even Zidane I was looking I think Zidane's one of the best as well but he's only won one World Cup compared to like Pele winning four or Maradona winning a few so it's like and and I I look at it from the other point of view that yeah like it would have been so much more effective if you didn't headbutt him and won the World Cup and then like took a stand listen this is what I went through it's not appropriate because that winning would have been more painful than that headbutt <laughs> so yeah. it's but he came back to his country almost a hero for standing up for himself yeah but the, yeah but that's what I'm saying but what did, we're talking about is he the sportsman that's not sportsman like no behavior. but you see the topic was what do you determine a goat right yeah but uh, okay then look at what he's done though but then the perception for the country was actually this guy stood up for himself it's not about the country but you know I think there's a key thing here see when people hear this question the first thing is <clears throat> are you answering what you personally have an emotional connection with yeah and the other thing is am I just looking at it as how effective were they yeah. in their job so I or would how good they were yeah so what I'd say is I disagree with all three of you mm. so for me when it comes to a question like this I can tell you my own personal emotional thing of mm -hmm. what, why I like someone but when it comes to it if someone was doing a job you're going to look at how well they've performed that job now in sports especially team sports your job is to increase the chances of your team winning whoever does that the best for me is the best of all time so when it comes to i know you guys both mentioned boxing let's say just this era i'd look to more someone like tyson fury now 
when the situation calls upon, he tends to step up and he can perform and he can adapt what he's doing. And it's a similar thing with other sports. I'm, you know, I am a bit biased when it comes to football. I know you mentioned Messi, but Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, if I were to take Cristiano Ronaldo and drop him in any team in history, I believe he's more likely to improve that team than maybe someone with a very specific skill set like Messi, like you mentioned, who's phenomenal, but he's less versatile in that regard. So for me, it's I have to remove all emotion and all just say... Based. It's not necessarily just stats. I think, and the reason why I said that is because you mentioned a very key point, mentality. Now, if someone has a strong mentality, no matter what situation you put them in, what adversity they face, they're going to be able to overcome it. So when you said who's looking up to you know, certain football players, not really because do I really trust their, their, their mental fortitude? Whereas there's some, whether it be boxers, tennis players, whatever it may be. I mean, you're talking about Zidane. There's an element of of mental toughness there yeah. and when you have that mentality mixed in with that ability I think that's when you have something which gets elevated even further but it's, not, not, for it's me. not mental toughness though that's what I'm saying if he was mentally strong you wouldn't react no no you're right in that way but what I'm talking about is someone who he, I think what you're referring to is someone who stands by their principles yeah, right I now let's say if that same person let's say a boxer if they lose a fight but they have that mental toughness where they come back and they're like no I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to stand up for myself I'm going to show that I'm better than what they think that's where we then give someone an added yeah. dimension you, you, know, you know for me that, that what I think is more important is because you mentioned you have to look you, you know you look at it as someone in a job but it's not a job because these it's not a normal job because these guys have power to influence young minds young vulnerable versatile minds um whereas someone like uh, you know the greatest i don't know someone who's amazing in an it firm or someone who's the best doctor in a hospital amazing but they don't influence people and that's why the bar to assess um greatness in the field of sports where you're on the front line i believe has to have more than just your uh success in terms of statistically, I know you, you said it's not specifically just statistically, but because and, and, and the reason why I say it is because the story is so important, and it's, it's personal opinion. Because, like I said, you know they're on the front line. People are looking at yeah. that and being inspired. Unless you hit the peaks in other sort of like Elon Musk, and then you go and look into his history and what he's done, and you may be inspired, you may not. But until he hits the top, you're not really bothered about him. S same as, um, you know, founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, right? And, you know, when he's only when he's at the at the top, is, is, is he relevant in society? Whereas sports stars, you don't even necessarily need to be at the top, but you become relevant. And you start following a journey of someone who's up and coming, for example, like Rooney, when he's up and coming, you're excited, you're following him. So what I'm saying is that these, in, in this situation, they have such an influence over society that I think you have to judge them more on the steps they take. And, and that's why people like Muhammad Ali, who arguably wasn't the greatest boxer, it's the decisions he took in his personal life which inspire people. And he's remembered today yeah. just as much for his personal decisions as he is for his boxing but decisions. The, the thing is, I think, <coughs> for example, in Muhammad Ali's time, I don't know how much... Uh, in terms of the element of being a star revolved around sponsorships mm. because now if you're a star the reason you're a star is because you're marketable mm. and when you're marketable then you're put on every platform for example like just take Joshua for example like he this guy Under Armour Lynx Lucas Aid 
yeah. uh, Hugo Boss like the, so he's put in front of you whether he likes it or not so that means his element of privacy is pretty much finished compared to someone who's in IT he's probably made as much money but he has that element of privacy and only the people in and around him know really that this guy's quite wealthy so I think it's the difference between being a superstar which means actually you are now at a level that you are marketable so as a company I might look at you and think well I can sell like our product will go from here to here if we just get this guy on board or if you don't have a personality because that's not necessary like I gave you six example he's not that level superstar where he's got loads of like uh, sponsors and he's put in front of your face he's just yeah. known for his talent and when he retires one day you probably will not know what's going on with him but, but that's a fact we have to accept sorry just one yeah, yeah, point because yeah. who, who would you rather have would you rather have Bill Gates come and speak to you about knife crime or Anthony Joshua would, because would, it's the influence yeah. these guys hold yeah. which means you have to give them that that element of respect because of what they've achieved um, and their story essentially no but yours then that you're de that depends on the crowd really yeah because if the crowd is a crowd that's influenced by money and fame then of course you want the most famous person to come talk to you because sometimes like me and you can give the same advice but someone who's just an influencer says the same thing it just hits home with people because oh, oh wow someone said this mm. So again, I think that's difference between, like, in terms of who's the best sports, in terms of yeah. pers personality, or who's actually, in terms of as a sportsman, the best sportsman. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> so I think what you lot are talking about literally <coughs> leads on to the next section of this. So, you know, you're making reference to there's people who are great at their sport, and that's fine. But then, should they really, should we really be looking at the true greatness, those who have an impact outside of the sport? And, you know, I'll just give like an example to start this off is that, um, you know, people talk oftentimes about Usain Bolt as being, you know, the greatest of all time, because the fact is he is the fastest man ever over yeah. 100 meters. But when we look at the history of that sport itself, you know, you had Jesse Owens, who was a African-American sprinter at the time, and he was the first to win a gold medal. And this was in Nazi Germany. So you can imagine, I mean, Adolf Hitler is literally in the crowd, along with, you know, the whole world watching. And this uh, person from America, African-American, has come and shown everyone by a clear margin that he is the greatest. Now... It's very hard to compare, you know, we can't say that, oh, if Jesse Owens was to race Usain Bolt, you know, Jesse Owens would win. But if we think about that potential impact it had on a wider scale, that's something where I'd look at someone like Jesse Owens as someone who is a more so a goat because of that impact outside of the sport. I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But I think this is where the difference, like, for example, the first thing I said was what appeals to me is what's affected me the most that doesn't mean that I'm ignorant to the people's sacrifices of the past who have gone out of their way to bring the sport where it is today to allow these guys to be superstars so yeah we can't ignore that because yeah I was looking at Jesse Owens he won four medals 100 meters 200 meters mm. four times 100 meters relay and long jump so he even won a goal in long jump so that's a, a huge achievement and the circumstances in which, which he won it was of course very historic so you can't compare what he did to you're right to Usain Bolt but at the same time you can't say Usain Bolt is not better than him because he is because he's got the better record so it's just that story is probably much better 100% yeah. but it's again if you look at it just from sports just from a sports point of view 
who's the fuck like that yeah. who's the fuck who got the record I, I, I agree I think what you what we need to try to do when talking about this kind of thing is try to remove as much emotion from it as possible and although it's very hard to tangibly yeah. put a number on impact that someone's had when we're thinking about who are the greatest we have to think okay look how good were they at their sport then in addition to that you know we mentioned mentality how did that spread outside of the sport and what impact did they have on the people and those around them so when I truly think of a GOAT I'm not thinking about okay this person had the fastest serve in history this person scored the most goals no no what have you done because you've been given a platform like Shams was saying where people are watching you the world is watching now what have you been able to do with that platform have you been someone who's stood by your principles and maybe had a greater impact and change at a sacrifice of your own sport or your own passion and desires have you been someone to do that and I think that's where I lean I don't know about you, about you. I, I, so if I was to play devil's advocate on this I almost think it's unfair on the sports person yeah. and the reason I say this is imagine if I've trained all my life to be a footballer I've hit the big big time I am now a footballer why am I now being judged on on the platform I have and, and how I should uh, utilise that platform to do uh, good in, in the eyes of uh, whoever right because it's it's not what I signed up for and I know it comes with a neighbourhood don't get me wrong so I have to be conscious about how I do it but actually has that sports person wanted to get involved in politics and also you could even flip it right so the the, the point about uh, Jesse Owens and the same bolt the same bolt doesn't live in 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 the uh, hasn't lived in the era that Jesse Owens has so we don't know if he would even do the same thing and does that mean it's unfair to a same bolt to say you know what Jesse had the opportunity to do this and this is what he did but same doesn't have the opportunity because we've evolved in, in into a world where you know African Americans people of of African descent can freely do the same as others so I, I think it's the environment changes the, the the opportunity for the individual and also it, it doesn't make it a fair comparison but isn't it the moral obligation of that sports star to also include you know what their influence has been across the, their sport yeah. lifetime because whilst you say you know I'm growing up an amazing footballer and I, and I never intended to become a role model yeah. but you're only a famous footballer because of everyone that's watching you so you have an obligation to them too and that's how I see it but then I, yeah, you, otherwise but you we, wouldn't even we, be famous we all see it that way is because that's how we think mm. like we know that we have obligations towards people and now we're nowhere near any not even 1% of the level that these guys are but we live by that code yeah. that's the reality here yeah? all four of us are God-fearing people who understand that we have to serve others we have to kind of give back we have to do yeah. things so that's why our compass would always be inclined towards that for someone who doesn't care about others and he's very much just I'm only worried about what's on my plate they would not think about these things they would not consider these things because they don't relate to them yeah, yeah. and th there's examples even in, in like boxing for example <laughs> Floyd Mayweather I was going to exactly give his example from yeah. the beginning yeah. he said I'm, I'm, I'm my name man. is Floyd Money Mayweather literally is his nickname and that's all he, I'm chasing now at, within the sport I think this is the thing within his sport we can put him as one of the goats but 
when I was saying about Jesse Owens, Usain Bolt, cool, let's say the greatest sprinter is Usain Bolt. But now if we're taking a step out, we're now we're talking about broadly speaking, who stands out from all these sports as being people who have gone above and beyond? I think then there's this added dimension that you have yeah. to take into consideration. So uh, I'm someone who loves Roger Federer, mm. but that's strictly at tennis. <coughs> when it comes to outside of the sport, I don't really know anything about him. I haven't really heard him stand up for anything. So it's not someone who I necessarily associate with. But, you know, there are some people who, who, who step out. So one of the ones, again, we're talking about how, you know, the position of African-American has changed. But then more recently, I say more recently, probably 10 years ago, we had the situation with Colin Kaepernick, who, you know, there was quite a lot of uh, police brutality against African-Americans. Yeah. And by taking the knee during the national anthem you know he took a stand against what was going on and in effect what he had done was something which he loved playing his whole life and he's put a lot of hard work and dedication into to get that, right? he was willing to sacrifice some of those benefits and those rewards because he stood by a principle and it's things like that where I look at someone and put them maybe above others and there are people who you know we spoke about parenting in the first hour if I were to tell, you know, if, I, if my children particularly were interested in sports, there's certain personalities I'd say, do you know what, look at that person, yeah. look at their story, look at how they went about what they did. And I think those are the people where maybe we should give more precedence to. But here, I've also had this conversation, because I, I know off air we've had this conversation, that how much difference can one person really make? For example, like this um, saying no to racism in football, it's a great initiative, of course. But now it just seems like uh, they've stopped it now. But even when it was happening, it felt like, okay, how much of an impact is this really happening? Taking the knee before like the, the actual whistle start, the game starts. And then the reality is it's, it's if, let's just say, we mentioned Roger Federer, just for argument's sake, like we don't know anything about him. This is just an example I'm giving. Let's say Roger Federer has, he got into, te as gifted as he is, he got into tennis because it financially made sense to him that's his job he looks at, it, looks at it as a job <coughs> this is my job helps me provide for my family let's say something does happen in the world where he does feel do you know what I should speak up against this but it's going to affect my job like every normal human being has probably been in that scenario where do I say this to my boss because if I do I know the consequences of it so for Roger Federer the consequence or someone of that like level the consequences might be not like I might just lose my job I can go get another one I'm going to lose millions uh, and then that potentially affects my future because then what else can I get into mm -hmm. and if I were to take a stand then how effective would that really be yeah you know that's like you know all these things go through your mind you know like you, we mentioned briefly uh, basketball so a criticism of Michael Jordan, who's classified as one of the greatest of all time, 100%, yeah. is that he's now a multi-billionaire with his Jordan brand. I'm sure you know we all probably have maybe an item in the past that we've owned. And he's always been very tentative when it came to speaking out against you know, issues surrounding African-Americans. And he, that's been his principle from the beginning. And no one's now expecting it from him. Whereas on the other hand, you have someone like LeBron James, who has stood up for certain causes, has willingly worn T-shirts in, in training and, um, you know, on social media, he's mm. really promoted certain things where, you know, we may look at them particularly as athletes, oh, they're one's better than the other. But really, 
having that ability to, you know, I'm going to sacrifice some of these financial gains. I'm going to sacrifice the thing that my passions because I believe and I want to take a stand against something. I think that's where maybe the common person more so looks at them and associates with them. You know, I, I had, I've known people who maybe are, um, maybe they have some racial tendencies where they don't really, you know, maybe value some people more than others, but they will still say that, oh, actually Muhammad Ali is someone who I really revere. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. You have people who maybe you wouldn't necessarily think are too supportive of one side, but they see that there's someone who's willing to just stand up for what they believe in, in spite of what's going on around them. I think those are the people where people... Do you think it's easier now to be an activist? Whereas, because as as is, as Osman uh, mentioned earlier, we live in a global village. Everything is seen, everything is heard, everything is caught on camera. And arguably, it puts more weight on, you know... Um, those activists in the past who stood against all odds, whereas now you're not necessarily having to stand against all odds. I'm not. I'm not downplaying what people do, but now it's a lot easier to put a t-shirt on because you know everyone's watching. So whilst they're watching the good, they're also watching if someone mistreats you for doing that. So it's harder to mistreat you for doing that. So it's it's different. I think you you also have to include that into this debate because some in the past haven't done it. But then their situation was a lot more difficult. So maybe for Michael Jordan, it wasn't as easy to stand up. You know, you don't know what their family sort of um, expectations or responsibilities are for them to, you know, maybe out of fear or I don't know, but have to you know, keep a lid on it to some degree. Whereas now it's a lot easier to be an activist. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you think about social media now, because so many athletes now have a platform, I think in the past there was a select few superstars in the world that people knew mm. of and the way that they know about them is they would literally pick up a newspaper mm. and read them on back pages nowadays it could be your you know second tier football team where their star player has quite a large following online so that I think it becomes diluted you have more stars and more people maybe saying something and they can pick and choose which things they want to stand for you know I've seen some athletes speak up really strongly about the Ukraine-Russia situation but maybe haven't said anything at all pertaining to Israel-Gaza whichever side they're on but they've clearly picked so I think now I think more people are in a spotlight but they have more ability to pick and choose their battles but at the same time they're also held more to account now as well because now there's an expectation of those people who are in sort of the limelight in those positions to say something. So, I don't know, maybe sometimes you would arguably want to say something in the situation because you just know you're going to get it online anyway. So maybe just stand up and and make a stand. So that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's a bit easier now to do so. But yeah, you're right. There's still people who... who I I think, for example, like Muhammad Ali's... It's even odd saying Ali because you know the world calls him Ali, but <laughs> Muhammad Ali's um, why his example is so amazing is because when someone does something knowing that actually I don't care what the world thinks, I know that I'm going to be answerable to God, and I'm doing this regardless of what impact it has because I know by God I'm doing the right thing. That is, and you can tell when someone's sincere as well, and when someone's just following. But that is so powerful. Because look how God rewarded him as well. Like today, he doesn't have the best record, but still on everyone's tongue, if you ask who's the best of all time, just say Muhammad Ali. In all sports. In all sports, yeah. because of the impact that he had. And if you ask him, generally, he spoke about Islam. So like all of his interviews, he spoke so strongly about like God, there being justice, mm. being God-fearing, God-conscious. That is, 
And ex- and that example you gave is such a good example that technically no one can touch Floyd Mayweather. The guy had a career where he's not lost any, like he's probably taken the least damage in boxing history. <laughs> and even now, in the age of 50, he's making millions of exhibition fights. Like, mm-hmm. if you think about it from that point of view, this guy's amazing. <laughs> like, this guy is... He's, he knows the recipe to succeed, yeah. but yet he's not regarded. Like every list I was looking on today, this morning, whilst preparing for this, he's not, like on opinions he is, but when it comes to like ESPN and whatever, he's not on the list. He's like not in the top five. And they give it to other people who have had 100 fights and have the best records and whatever it is. But you're right. I feel like, but again, that's like, that's that's because we all live by that code as well. Do you think that, you know, there's some athletes who obviously follow certain religions and do you think that maybe those religious communities who see these athletes put a um, added emphasis on them to speak up against certain things and there's an added kind of pressure on them to, to stand up? Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think I think that's the case, not just for sport. I think it's for anyone standing in the limelight and you have communities or individuals who've either been there or have some sort of connection with this individual. And I think we mentioned this, and I, and I know it's kind of related to sport, but the whole sort of uh, the uproar from communities about DJ Khaled and his uh, um, sort of childhood and where he's from, and you know, in his social media, there's there's little to to minimal mention of the war but he's going out and he's living his best life right but for others who once saw him as uh you know a goat in the music industry let's just say they're just thinking okay what do you have to say to the troubles and pains right but on the flip side if i if i look at it from his perspective he, I mean, he he doesn't have a mandated requirement to stand up for anything, but that doesn't mean he should he should or shouldn't. But actually, that's not what he signed up for. It again, it comes with a neighbourhood, but he doesn't have a mandated requirement. So, what are you holding him accountable for? But I'm glad that that pressure can be applied. No, because, it's good. Yeah, yeah, but it's because your 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 moral values are so important. I yeah. think it's as I keep saying, especially in those positions. If you didn't have a position of influence, then okay, fine, to a certain degree, your silence doesn't matter. Um, but your silence is deafening when you're in those positions yeah. and young children, I'm just looking at it from, you know, our children growing up in the society, you don't want them seeing that. You don't want them looking at someone who's achieved so much, so much success to then think that that's the way to be when success is given to you. I think there has to be an element of sort of your moral compass um, I, I want to say something here but I just want to read out a message that I just received uh, and it's with regards to this conversation the message reads you have to look at the hardship endured and what have the sport person done for society go in sport alone go in world holistically go for themselves Ali so I'm talking about Muhammad Ali Ali Muhammad Ali gave up his gold medals he chose jail over freedom for the rights of black people and he made a difference in society and he gave all the success to God so that was uh, Brother Kiyum. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in your message. Obviously, he's a Muhammad Ali fan, but he's absolutely right, though. But I think in just touching on the top of uh, what you guys mentioned, my biggest... <laughs> Again, you're, you're, you're right, and this is why I wouldn't mix religion, or I wouldn't look at what these sports personalities are doing and think, 
wow these guys are so like amazing religiously because the reality is that you just gave DJ Khaled's example I'm no one to judge but I can make an assumption based on what's in front of me yeah. so this guy is not living an Islamic lifestyle but from time to time you'll see like him going like to Saudi Arabia performing the pilgrimage and being religious and actually uh, attributing his success to God so obviously his case is with God but what I'm saying is the danger of that is that when you're an average person who like we said you might have an identity crisis you're born and raised a Muslim or you're born and raised in a religious household and there are certain do's and don'ts according to that religion and then you come across online social media someone who's in that industry whether it's sports music whatever it is and 90% of 95% of the things he's doing or she's doing is totally against the morals of your religion but a 2% 5% mention might be given that oh, I'm a Muslim and just the fact that he's a Muslim or she's a Muslim it might be enough to capture that audience of those people who are Muslims and been raised in Muslim households but never really understood it, never questioned it, never practiced it wholeheartedly. That's for me the danger, that actually, do you know what, we shouldn't look at these guys as role models in every aspect. Like, yeah, you're right, when it comes to sports, in that particular field, they have achieved. And they put hard work and grind into their, their passion, and they've achieved. But when it comes to, for example, what's Islam's stance on this particular thing, I'm not looking at any sportsman. I'm looking at someone who actually is living that lifestyle, who's practicing what you preach. And for example, His Holiness. Yeah? Like the fifth caliph of the MDA Muslim community. Like that's who I look for when I say, okay, right now living, who's uh, presenting the best picture of Islam, but not just when the cameras are on. Like who's that all the time? Mm. That that for me is like powerful rather than like, okay, here's like Mike Tyson. I'll give you a perfect example, Mike Tyson as well. Mm. One of my favorite boxers, honestly, you're so destructive got me into boxing really but at the same time you see him like eating mushrooms on like a podcast and then the next video you see is him like performing the pilgrimage like it's just it, the right balance of understanding that actually these guys are human beings mm. and some of them understand the responsibility that comes with being a superstar some don't some are careless but we should never look at that and think wow I want to be like this person because of the fact that they got such a spotlight. Yeah. Rather, it should be, oh, this guy's got a talent. amazing talent of working hard and actually never giving up until he achieves what he wants to achieve. And that actually, you should always look at the positive in people. That's what I'm saying. I think we shouldn't idolize these people. Yeah. I think that's a, such a good point because talking from my own perspective growing up, I was a massive Manchester United fan. The first match I went to, I saw this guy called Ryan Giggs, absolutely outclassed the opponents. From that point onwards, I was the biggest Ryan Giggs fan. And this is something I proclaim and tell everyone often. But, you know, more in recent times, since after his playing career ended, he's had quite a lot of things in the news which have really questioned the guy's morals and his, mm. and his character. And, you know, I could understand from that child's perspective, or myself, of idolizing almost this person but really these people they're not truly whether even they represent a religion or not they're at the end of the day they're just regular human beings who will make mistakes and sometimes those are obviously in the news other times they're not so there's always this danger of idolizing someone for 
you know, because you see what they do in a sport and then you project that into this is how I want to be as a person and these are the values I want to adopt when really it's a really dangerous kind of path to follow. So I think it's good to pick people's strong points, people's strengths. Like I remember there was um, someone who was performing in uh, the ice hockey in Canada and he was quite a devout Christian and they had a... a um, a period where they had I think a pride flag on all of their jerseys but he said that look due to my religious uh, beliefs this isn't something I'm, I'm willing to partake in now I feel that just that element of principle in that I follow this thing therefore I'm not going to do it that's something which I can revere now I'm not going to now look into everything else that he does and say yeah I want to follow exactly what this guy does but we can appreciate these things so I think what's amazing about sport generally and this comes onto something I think um, we were going to talk about the importance of our health and fitness in our local community but one of the things that I, I, I love about it is that the sports people have this element of their cool yeah. and they can kind of cross certain boundaries which we maybe can't and you know we're talking about the youth and the generations they're going to see some of these sports personalities some of these athletes and when they do do these things which are quite selfless and are you know maybe they're detrimenting their own careers and, and lives that's something we as parents and and friends and community we can highlight those good qualities and leave them at just at that look at this one example now I'll move on you know um and I think we do have lots of examples of that. I think one of my favourite ones is Muhammad Ali, where I'm I'm the biggest Muhammad Ali fan. I know we mentioned him consistently throughout, and that's testament to to how great he was. But you know, after he um, he converted to Islam, he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And in the build-up to a fight, as you guys would have seen, there's always this back and forth, quite a lot of talking that goes on to kind of get under the opponent's skin before the fight. So his opponent said who kept referring to him as Cassius Clay, his previous name. So Muhammad Ali said to him, no, call me by my name, call me by my, my name, this is my Islamic name, call me by this name. And the guy refused. Now, this guy, I think his name was Ernie Terrell, his reason for doing this was more so to kind of get under the skin of, of the opponent. But Muhammad Ali was quite resolute in the fact that, you know, you have to call me by my name. So when they actually had their fight, and um, it started during the fight he was really outclassing his opponent and punishing him and between these punches he was telling this person what is my name punching him again in the face what is my name bang again in his face over and over and you know there was theories that you know he could have very easily ended this fight early but instead he wanted to punish this person and then at the end of the fight Ernie Terrell the, 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 the opponent said literally he was so great I had to call him by his true name which was Muhammad Ali so, you know, as a child, when I heard this kind of example, I was like, man, that is really, you know, phenomenal. That's something I want to do. And I think we can draw on those those examples for, you know, preaching that message to other people as well. No, absolutely. I think um, you're right, man. I think when you, when you study this whole thing, again, like no one, <laughs> I think when people think of who's the greatest, they don't go deep into the theology. They just think well, what's the best and I think you know when you go into the theology of actually well again we spoke like we started this show by saying what does the media put in front of you and whatever they sell you whatever story they sell you is what you sometimes tend to believe or discuss more of and right now it's like either you're in the news as a sports personality for one of two things either because you're doing something exceptional and it's never seen before regardless of who you are what background you're from Who's, who's your sponsor 
or actually because you're marketable. And I feel like, again, it's like then that greatness of, of that particular individual is not prioritized. Rather, it's the fact that he's doing it at a high level, but he's, he we're able to get a certain... We're able to put his face on every poster and all the news outlets. So he's finding that right balance, I would say, 100%. Like, for example, now Messi, you mentioned Ronaldo Messi. Like, I, I think everyone will agree that like his talent is unseen like me yeah Maradona after Maradona it's Messi uh, and the fact that the difference between the two is his lifestyle allowed him to kind of do it for a longer period of time but like God knows when we'll see another Messi it's like that ability of doing things with the ball is amazing now he's again very quiet like you never see him in the news for the wrong reasons but again you might not see him for the right reasons either so I respect that as well like someone who's just about his passion he's not worried about like when you see videos of him just doing grocery shopping and like like a normal guy like he's just a normal person at the end of the day who has likes and dislikes and not everyone has like, like that courage sometimes to say this is right this is wrong and I'm going to use my platform so it's um, it's inevitable as well isn't yeah. it like when you when you are when you spoke about this topic and I thought boxing I thought two of like my favourite boxers as actual boxers are probably yeah Mayweather and um, Andre Ward I wouldn't even include them in this discussion I spoke about Anthony Joshua who I don't actually think is a great boxer but just because his story sort of means something and Muhammad Ali whose story means something I think so I think it's inevitable anyway when you speak about sports stars the effect they have maybe not immediately like with you and Ryan Giggs but at some point you will judge them for their life outside of sport I think there'll always be that link there especially when their playing days are over maybe then more so if you're still following them you'll start judging them a bit differently so I think you kind of can't get away from it Um, there there are however sort of you know other people who who we should look at and um, really admire the the way they carry themselves across their careers Um, in, in whatever sort of areas they were and, and one particular person is uh, Sir Muhammad Zafrullah Khan who was a Pakistani um, lawyer uh, jurist and diplomat and also the first foreign minister of Pakistan uh, also served as the president of the UN General Assembly but you know he obviously being an Ahmadi Muslim we we sort of understand and, and, and hear some of his stories and I think one of them which stands out to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong is uh, when uh, he had uh, he had a sitting with the Queen yeah uh, he had an audience the, with the Queen yeah uh, the late Queen um, and I think he kept looking at he kept looking at the clock you know not not in sort of a rude way but it may have potentially been perceived like that you know but um I think it, the Queen then asked, you know, do is there is there anyone that you need to meet? You know, you're sitting in front of the Queen, arguably the most respected person in in that land, and you know he responded by saying, yeah, I've got I've got a meeting with my Lord, like you know it's time for prayer, um, and then you know subsequently I think the meetings weren't. It was told that the meetings are not to be arranged out around the time of his prayer, but it just goes to you know you mentioned the point earlier that those moral principles that people carry you know they're so valuable and we look at people like him who have achieved so much um, yet remain so grounded um, and true to their sort of moral upbringing and um, 
religious sort of values. And I think, look, from from a religious point of view, it's never like again because the value, the fundamentals of religion is not to kind of achieve who's the greatest. Because again, by determining who's the greatest, doesn't do anything for you. It's almost being respectful and sensitive towards each other's feelings. And, and there's an example of this: the way there's a Jewish man who came to the Holy Prophet, may peace be on him, and uh, he was quite upset at um, the Holy Prophet's companion, Hazrat Abu Bakr. And he said that I'm upset because me and Abu Bakr were arguing, and uh, he said some things that were hurtful to me. And the Prophet said, "Well, what did he say?" He said, "Well, he said that you, as a prophet, are higher in rank than Moses." And that upset me because I kept saying that no Moses is higher in rank than Muhammad. And the Prophet just looked at Abu Bakr and said, "Well, you shouldn't have said that." Now, again, like you can look at this in two ways. One, like actually, well, what what is the truth? Who is high in rank? But that's not how the Prophet looked at it. He looked at it from the point of view that actually, listen, like this is a very sensitive topic, and again, you should never say something that would hurt someone's sentiments. So there's no need to kind of give any priority to me over Moses. So again, the object, the objective of religion, is one to observe everyone's rights, and not just God Almighty's through prayer, but of mankind as well. Make sure that there's justice. And true justice is actually not caring, like you said, what the consequences are. I think that's like real God consciousness. Someone f- who, and the reason I give the Prophet's name right now, because fourteen, fifteen hundred years after his demise, if I was to say to you there was a, an orphan child, illiterate, didn't know how to write or read, come from humble beginnings, but after him understanding his purpose and fulfilling his mission he is now the most influential person in history like you'll never think that actually wow that will be him because he never had a chance from the beginning if you look at it from a worldly point of view but actually someone who understood his purpose someone who is divinely guided is now known as the most influential person in history so it's it's just and if you study their life people of god people who put god first they go through so much difficulty, adversity, persecution, because they go against the tide, basically. The world is saying one thing, and then when it goes, when spiritually darkness has kind of covered the lands, that's when God sends his prophet. And then they come against the grain. They actually know you guys are doing this, this is wrong, we have to stand up. And then they face severe persecution. So like now, like for example, cancel culture is a thing, and the fear is I might lose something. Well, the reality is, prophets of God all shared this one practice that when they stood up and said that this is wrong they were all persecuted they all faced severe persecution like we can't even imagine like like in this day and age getting cancelled is such a fear because of fear of wealth not anything else because we we put money like at the top of the like uh, priority list that this is the be all and end all if you got money you'll be happy and if you don't have it you won't be happy and that's not true to any extent obviously money plays a role but true comfort comes from knowing that actually there's a purpose in life and I have a purpose and I have to fulfill that purpose and if I do so regardless of what the world thinks of me I know that by God I've done the right thing and ultimately that's going to be my end just just one last point actually just, just comes to my mind as well is that whilst it's important 
to have this sort of conversation around sort of the goat arguably I would say like those people that influence you growing up are probably not people who are like famous maybe they'll have some effect on you but especially for myself and maybe you guys will feel the same like growing up your influence would be around you know someone that was a bit older than you mm-hmm. done things in a certain way so sort of had their arm around you and sort of guided you on a certain things that that you still look back at now so I think you know that responsibility for um, that responsibility actually lies with the layman to um, recognize and correct and and sort of help other sort of youth more so than you know a goat because it's very, like as I said especially for me um, you know people around me uh, older than me that that, that took up but that do responsibility you, do you, so th- I'm just saying we have you, that responsibility but do you too. feel like you're saying that at this stage in your life after experiencing whatever you've experienced after like 35 years of experience it may be maybe to a certain degree but I, I do think that there were pivotal moments or key moments in, in, in life where I could turn to sort of people around me rather than really turning to to yeah. people's people's story on the TV you know the, yep. the influence at that point is much closer to home so the responsibility is with sort of everyone really to 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 be that that someone for someone else I almost wonder if that links everything we've kind of said right because the whole thing about us in a community in his brother growing up with that code of supporting others and and almost putting arm around uh, other individuals individuals who haven't had the right exposure or individuals who are looking for uh belonging a belonging like the the whole point of the community is it's there's a religious aspect but there's it's so much more to it and it's, it's the beauty of it right you have individuals who don't have that uh, belonging sense they they don't have uh, someone to talk to they don't, may not have someone in their generation who understands the current uh, issues they've been being you know they don't look at Ronaldo and think I'm going to be a footballer because maybe their current lifestyle doesn't you know they've already d- determined that's not going to happen but people within their community people who live down the road or they meet every few weeks in in a in a sports event or in a uh, you know, in, in this radio station uh, show you might think oh this is a good role model because it doesn't have to be someone who's mm. got the 10 Bugattis and Ferraris it's it's someone who's living a fairly decent lifestyle and you think again it does come back to some sort of material but it, it's that lifestyle or that, that person's done well for themselves and I think what is that person doing and we as the members of that community have always got to be conscious that we have a responsibility whether it's direct or indirect that the next generation need to be supported yeah. and I think now more than ever as growing up as uh, you know, we've seen how, how things are and exactly. we should support that next generation Do you want to wrap this up Sergio? We've got a few minutes left Yeah, I was just going to say that um, uh, you know when we think about these goats and stuff like that people tend to lead towards idolising yeah. now really that main focus and emphasis needs to be on if you actually look to some of those people those people did idolize those same people are actually focusing their full attention on god so when we look at our our uh, caliph at the moment you know he's fully you know uh following god and god's plan and god's direction same thing with the prophet uh, may peace and blessings be upon him so i think the focus should be that we look at 
you know, people's strong suits and we look at the good things that they're doing, but we don't ever put that on a pedestal. We focus on our relationship with God and what he's expecting from us and what we can do to get better and closer to him. And we can use things as different um, motivations around us by all means. It could be that you're interested in a sport, could be that you're passionate about your work, whatever it may be, but you have to always keep those things within a certain bracket and not push it and elevate it beyond that when really the focus has to be on our worship to God yeah no, absolutely I think look within Islam we do say that we should excel one another in good deeds um, and again I think look credit to both uh, We I say this example because obviously we all follow football to Messi and Ronaldo like I'm sure they both pushed each other to achieve greatness but I think then it's understanding the right balance of what to take from when you look at Ronaldo or Messi and if it's like you look at them and think wow I want that work ethic or I want that level of sacrifice to be able to say okay this is my goal I want to achieve it regardless of the cost so I think it's again perspective in terms of what you take from it uh, and how you relate to it and if it's from a well I just want the the rags and riches of what comes with that lifestyle then obviously you've misunderstood what we're trying to say but being the greatest of all time I guess in each sport is different from person to person but for us I guess at Voice of Islam because we are Muslims it's more than just what you've achieved in that sport it's you as a human being how have you portrayed yourself because you have a platform and how have you used that platform to inspire the next generation to be the best versions of themselves and I think um keeping that in mind then LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan oh, that well, <laughs> in <laughs> your opinion no, I I'll say that when we've got 40 <laughs> seconds left so Sajil can't say anything Ronaldo's better than Messi <laughs> <laughs> but no um, yeah so we've come to the end of this show I'd like to thank you three for joining us today spending time and the audience for listening uh, it's been interesting Anything, any last comments we've got literally 10 seconds no, it's, you know, again, an interesting show and um, join us again uh, on the next one. Yeah, yeah so we'll be joining you, well, not us, the next team will be joining you next Saturday for more Saturday Morning Live. Until next time, may the peace and blessings of God be upon you all.